Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Amen. Even though it hasn't yet been released, a new movie is on the way called Welcome to Yesterday. I have no idea if it's a good film or not, but the film contains a very interesting premise. A group of teenagers discover that one of their fathers has invented something of great value. At first, they don't know what it is, but after a while, they realize that one of their fathers has invented a device that allows them to go back in time, to go back to previous events, and to alter the future. Now, all the teens initially think, this is a great idea. All of this time travel stuff, going back in time, fixing past wrongs, asking the right boy or girl out on a date, repairing relationships with parents or with anyone else that matters. The preview even shows someone winning a bet and winning a lot of money. But as the film progresses, the teens all realize that their actions of going back to the past have dire consequences. Weird things start happening. Terrible tragedies occur. Other people are harmed. Relationships get broken. Societies begin fighting. Chaos results. The teens giving into their temptation to travel in time ends up with global consequences. Perhaps giving a new meaning to the phrase, you can never go home again. This film makes me curious because it seems to cast light on a great moral problem. That when our wills are acted upon, without any regard for society or for our neighbors or for our friends or uh, many times, disaster occurs. To put it another way, if we're doing things for our own benefit without regard for others, what happens then? Something intended to initially be personally good results in something evil happening instead and we end up in the opposite place where we initially thought we would go. We get tricked, and our eyes get opened in ways that make us realize that we hadn't, we wish we hadn't done what we had done. In some ways, Jesus' eyes and his heart and his mind are open too. Last week's readings had him up on the holy mountain being transfigured. And now our story leads us into the desert. Now, the stories we've read over the past two weeks are not sequential. The church is making us back up in time today. We're going back to an earlier part of Jesus's ministry. In some ways, we're going back all the way to the stories we heard on January the 12th, the baptism of Christ. We're reading about what happens. Today we're reading about what happens right after Jesus' baptism. 
So in that reading, a voice has cried out, This is my son, my beloved, in him I am well pleased. And immediately after the story, that's what we hear today. Jesus is led to the wilderness, out into the desert. You know, in ancient times, the desert was a scary place, a place of struggle. Water was scarce, and so survival was key. Many people often thought that evil lurked in the desert. And the emptiness and that vastness of the desert reminded people of the stories of the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years before God brought them to the promised land. All of this is to say is that Jesus is now in the desert and he's fasting and praying. He's taking a time of retreat. And this time of retreat is helping Jesus live more fully into his identity. He's recognizing the role that God will have him play for humanity, and he's learning how to live into his belovedness. Perhaps it looks differently than he imagined. Think about it. Maybe that initial voice, when Jesus heard that initial voice at his baptism, maybe it made him think that he might live a life of prestige or honor. Or maybe it was just downright scary. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus' time in reflection and prayer allowed him to become even more fully human. Because his humanity manifests itself with one of the principal vulnerabilities of any man. Jesus is hungry. So in steps, the tempter, Diabolos, The tempter begins offering Jesus a series of things that, you know, at first sight, it would make Jesus, the human being, feel so much more comfortable, so much better, would give him so much more advantage over other people. First, a temptation about food, and then a temptation to reveal glory, and finally a temptation to rule over the entire world. But as the story goes, Jesus refuses all of these things. Instead, our passage concludes by Jesus quoting scripture and saying, Worship the Lord God and serve only him. Through this time of temptation, Jesus realizes his own strength. He recognizes that this quick fix approach to life that the tempter is offering is only born of shallow, naked greed, that the human life is much more complex and in some ways filled with a greater sense of call than simply service of self. We're also called to serve one another. You know, when I was studying to to preach this sermon, the funny thing was that one of the biblical commentaries that I read this week said this. Matthew's story of the temptation of Christ is maddeningly unavailable for moral exhortation and spiritual encouragement. Maddeningly unavailable. Really? I 
couldn't disagree more. The spiritual encouragement in this lesson is that Jesus, the human being, the one who spent 40 days fasting and praying and figuring out what God was doing with him in his life, this Jesus, the man, got it. As 4th century Bishop Theodore of Antioch writes, Jesus prevailed over the tempter as a man, teaching us that it is not through miracles, but by patient endurance that we must prevail, and that we should do nothing merely for show or notoriety's sake. Jesus recognized, he realized that human beings can't function as isolated individuals. Human beings are called to a much greater sense of community and are called to fully participate in those communities. Giving into these selfish temptations for one's own glory is not what God wants out of humankind. Instead, God wants us to live much more fully in community. Think about it. At this point in our story, remember we've kind of rewound. We're back a few days. Jesus, at this point in our narrative, has not called disciples yet. He is a man who has been baptized. And now he's been drawn by the Holy Spirit into a time of reflection. He never goes home to Nazareth again. In fact, the next passage in Matthew's Gospel tells us that he never goes back to Nazareth and instead he settles in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee to begin his mission, to go forward building his community. So what about us? Where does this story leave us? Well, first this story calls us into journey, into a walk with God. Just like Jesus' quest to live into the meaning of his belovedness, so too are we called to spend this Lent, spend this time thinking about our own belovedness. We're called to dig deep and think, how does God love me? How does God love us? The first step isn't going to be easy, though. Taking it seriously actually might be rather scary. Author Anne Lamott says, if I were going to begin practicing the presence of God for the first time today, it would help begin by admitting the three most terrible truths of our existence, that we are so ruined and so very loved and in charge of so very little. Sobering. But she goes on to say that if we didn't have our own faults, if we didn't feel undeserving at times of love, if we didn't sometimes feel totally out of control, where would we be in relationship to God and to one another? She writes, can you imagine that you have a true self way down deep inside, a self that will still be there even when your mind goes? If you can imagine that, then it's not such a huge step to believe in any sort of higher power to whom you could say, hey, those are her words. I'd say it like this. We have selves our good selves, and our bad selves. 
God wants to know about both of those selves. God wants us to tell God about all of ourselves so that we can begin the journey of life in a new way again with God. So the first thing is journey. The second is the lesson showing us how Jesus overcame temptation. So can we. What are the temptations in our lives? Spending too much money? Living in some way to excess? Causing harm to someone so that we can gain professionally or socially? In the face of our friends, the list is endless. The interesting thing about today's readings are that unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus does make the right choices. Jesus sees the selfishness in giving in to temptation, and Jesus in turn paves the way for us to break free of our temptations. Now, none of this is easy. Sometimes we fall victim to our own temptations even when we don't think that we're being tempted. We're human beings. We mess up. That's why we have a savior, a Messiah, that leads us out of this messiness. And instead of continuing to live in a realm of messiness or shame or fear or isolation or ruin, our savior Jesus extends his hand and continuously picks us up. How do you need Jesus to pick you up this Lent? Are you going to grab hold of his hand or can you fix everything yourself? How do you need Jesus to pick you up, to lead you out of your temptations into real abundant life? And finally, in our life's journey with God, how do we continue to grow in our belovedness? How do we continue to become the people in whom God is well-pleased? The good news, the gospel good news, is that we already are the people in whom God is well-pleased. But in this favor, in this light that God shines upon Jesus and upon us, we're called into a life of community. We're not called to be alone. We're called to love one another as Christ loves us. Think about it. All of the temptations we read about today center around things that would either benefit one or two people, but never a group, and certainly never a community. The temptations are isolating. They're very individualistic, and they might cause relationships to get broken or societies to begin fighting, or they might result in chaos. But real life, whole life, a full and blessed life exists in community. And so my question to you is this. Who will you meet this Lent who will become a new friend? Maybe someone different from you, perhaps. 
How about caring for the person who's sitting next to you in the pew? How will you care for them this Lent? What about outside of this church, outside of this place? How will you take just a small piece of the love that you find here at Trinity Cathedral and take it out into your workplace, into your school, into your family? Not easy, but we're called to form it. We're called to strengthen it. We're called to develop a broader community this Lent. And so through this process of journeying with Christ, letting Jesus pick us up and restore us, and by forming a stronger community with Christ out of pure love, we, the people of Trinity Cathedral, are not saying, welcome to yesterday, that yesterday of an overly pious and stagnant and static and even maybe a selfish Lent. Instead, we start with anticipation and excitement and wonder as God calls us into a Holy Lent, a Lent of new possibilities. As Mark said on Ash Wednesday, we begin because we expect God to change us in the process. We seek freedom from the control that our fears and insecurities have over us, and a true amendment of life that gives us new beginnings. We seek our transformation and healing in Jesus, who by his actions and his character show us today We're given his power and blessing as his favor, as God's beloved, to become fully ourselves this Lent. And we can allow God, we can allow God to guide us in a new way, out of an isolated desert, into a community where we start on a new path to engage Jesus, our Messiah, our teacher, our friend as a community for the first time again.